What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good morning and good afternoon. Uh, This is Aaron Strauer, host of the What to Know podcast show and CMO of W2O. And today we have someone uh, from the front lines, a favorite of W2O, Dr. Joseph Habush, who actually was kind enough to join us last fall for one of our uh, market teching events and then was supposed to speak at South by Southwest earlier this year. Unfortunately, that got uh, moved to next year. So maybe we'll get you back. But welcome, Joe, and glad to have you on the show. Thanks, Aaron. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And I will preface the fact that in our pre-prep, we were talking about the casual nature. We're both in t-shirts. Last time I saw you, and I think the last time you saw me, we had you know nice shirts and jackets. And uh, I have less of an excuse for that. You just came off a, a 24-hour rotation. So uh, I love the fact that you know we're seeing you kind of in your, when I'm not fighting you know on the front lines, then this is how you get me. So yeah, to have you here and uh, with us today. For sure. Let's jump in. So one of the things that I um, found out in doing a little additional research, because I did know a fair amount about you already, was that you were a seventh generation physician. And that's, I'm always fascinated by this. It seems like that's one of the professions that people really start, you know, carry that line along. You're also the co-founder of an online medical reference called MD Calc, which is a very important tool. And we'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes. So let's start with the physician side of your career. Um, I always like to know, like, was this something that you felt you were born into and you embraced it willingly? Or was this something where you may have gotten a little, you know, cajoled to, to follow in your family's footsteps? Yeah, for sure. I mean, seventh generation, I sometimes, I use that explanation often. And sometimes it's easy to forget how insane that is. I mean, seventh generations of, of physicians. And as vertical as it is, it's horizontal as well. We are from this large Iraqi family. My parents immigrated here and we have many aunts and uncles and cousins and um, on my parents' generation, 90% of them, all those aunts and uncles are probably physicians roughly. And in my generation, maybe it's 50%. Um, My great grandfather was a fairly famous physician in Northern Iraq a hundred years ago. Um, my, my, My mother and her sisters were female physicians in Iraq, graduating med school in the mid 60s as a female physician in Iraq. I mean, it's that's pretty rare. remarkable, <laughs> yeah, remarkable um, people. I think my mother was number four in her class and number one in her class was her sister. So um, these are really strong women that I'm very proud to be related to. Um, so yeah, growing up, I'll, I mean, I knew all I knew was medicine to some extent. So um, I don't know if cajoled is exactly the term or just that's what I knew. It was what it was around me. Um, so I started college as a pre-med and within a year I dropped it. I decided not to become a doctor when I was in med school. And I mean, when I was in college and I decided to dive into really what I loved and what I was sort of better at, which was, believe it or not, math. I was a math and physics major in college. Um, so even nerdier than being pre-med. <laughs> and dove into it. And then by the end of college and coming, uh, coming out of college, I, I started realizing all of the things in medicine that I, that I liked. 
but I also became very interested in entrepreneurship. And, and, and since an, a really young age, I always liked the idea of figuring out a bigger picture problem and solving for it um, on my own, making my own track toward it. And one of the issues of all the academic tracks and especially medicine is it felt like a little bit opposite to that. It was everyone else has made the track for you. you there's hoops that you have to jump through and you do that for many, many years. And then you eventually become a doctor or an expert in math. So um, I finished college really wanting to be, I guess, an entrepreneur was the best way I could put those things together. Um, and I worked on some entrepreneurial ventures that were unrelated to medicine and right out of college. Um, ended up really wanting to go back and learn medicine as well. And I ended up doing my post-bac pre-meds and went to medical school late, actually. I was um, four years older than the, the, the average person coming in. And in the end, I mean, MD-Calc is kind of a perfect conglomeration of these things, right? It's medicine. MD-Calc is medical calculators, because I'm the, the math guy. Um, and it's entrepreneurial as well. So I, you know, eventually was able to really combine these things in what feels really perfect for me. Well, that's great. And we will talk about the MD Calc uh, piece in a minute, because that is a significant portion of what you've done and put into the world and, you know, very helpful tool for physicians. But let's talk about sort of the, the close in here. You're an ER doctor in New York City, which is, you know, one of the sort of ground zeros, right, for this whole COVID fight. Um, you're right in the middle of the storm, and I know we all see and hear all these stories about what's going on, but would love to get that first person. Like, what's it been like, and, you know, how, you know how, what have you been seeing in, amidst all of this fight against this invisible uh, enemy? Yeah, wow. I mean, a pandemic is the type of disaster that you, you learn about when you're training to become a physician. You prepare for but you never actually think you're gonna to need to face. You know, it's the things out of these movies, outbreak and contagion, that um, you know are the theoretically possible, but they don't feel really viscerally possible. And um, stepping up into this disaster, right in the middle of it, like you're saying in New York City, I work at NYU and Bellevue Medical Centers. They're two related medical centers that are near each other, but they're separate. Um, and I get to see patients at both of these places and seeing it front hand there. I mean, it, it sort of feels like what I've been preparing for my whole life to some extent, but it, it also feels unreal. Like we're in the middle of a movie and some things to note are, you know, so much of medicine is fairly well understood in the ways we practice, the way we, we work up patients, um, how we think of the disease. There's so much known about it. So there's a lot to read in the books. There's clinical studies that you can examine the evidence of. By the time we're an attending physician making the ultimate choices, you've usually seen the disease a bunch, so you have some gestalt for and experience, and all these things combined help you treat these patients. We essentially have none of that right. with a disease like this. We don't know how it works. We don't have experience seeing a lot of patients until we eventually get that experience on the fly. We have no evidence on what works and what doesn't work. And frankly, you know, we do one thing today, and a few weeks later, we discover something new. One of the most amazing things about this is how much all of the smart physicians and academics are coming together to try to discover more stuff, right? right. For sure. We're, we're thinking about this disease 
in so many different ways today than we were a month ago, which means a month from now, the same thing's going to happen. We're going to discover so much new. So handling, figuring out how to, to, to handle the whole epidemic and pandemic, but also that specific patient in front of you when you really don't know much about the disease is, is something I never really um, thought I would have to do. Yeah, that is a crazy piece of it. And we had um, for an uh, internal town hall that we did last week, uh, gentlemen, you may be familiar with him, uh, Sir, uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Sir Michael Jacobs, who is uh, an infectious disease leader from the UK. Um, he was knighted because of the work he did with Ebola. And he was talking to us about, it's almost like the more you sort of learn, the less you know about this, right? Because there are just so many unpredictabilities around this. And, you know, we are making ground in certain areas and it feels like in others, it, it just becomes squishier. So, you know, mm -hmm. I can imagine how hard that is to be doing the proverbial wings on the plane as you're flying, because you do have to focus on the here and now, and especially you, who is an ER doctor and having to do the triage and learning things, you know, as you're going along, intubating, not intubating, you know, ventilating versus not. And, and so how do you do all those things? So one of the things I would like to find out is, you know, we've heard so much about COVID-19. I mean, I think that there's probably never been a disease that we've heard so much about and know so much about, but are a virus. Um, what's something about COVID-19 that people aren't talking about that maybe they should be? Yeah, well, one of, the, one of the things that I think are important to see is obviously, first of all, how much social distancing works. And it's a blunt tool because unfortunately, before we had good testing, it was already too late in the spread. And so we had to go to social distancing. But I'll tell you, a month or so ago, every day, I was seeing more and more critically sick patients. And we had enough resources on that day, but you extend forward how it was getting worse and worse. The things that were most psychologically hard for me was thinking, not only am I going to get sick potentially, but are we too many of us going to get sick? Are there not going to be enough providers, not enough space or ventilators or et cetera in a couple weeks? And thankfully, <laughs> the social distancing kicked in and worked and have brought the numbers down. But that's valuable, not just because it reduces the number we're seeing now, but that what I mentioned earlier, we're learning things all the time. So I treat patients better today because of what we know than I could have treated them four weeks ago or eight weeks ago. And that's all also going to be the case. By flattening this curve, we're not just making sure we're not overwhelmed, but we're also delaying when people get sick. So if you're eventually going to get sick, Aaron, you'd rather get sick six months from now, because we'll know more in six months. That's one thing to keep in mind. The other thing I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about is how all of medicine is being changed, even if you don't have COVID-19. So um, our emergency room volume has come down insanely because of the social distancing, but below normal levels which makes you ask, where are the normal patients? Right. And I am nervous that patients with chest pain or dizziness who might have heart attacks and strokes and what have you are avoiding coming in. Um, so figuring out how to handle that, figuring out how to create the right structures to have strong telemedicine presence so that we can 
when we can use telemedicine and other approaches to, to do the non-COVID stuff because of the COVID crisis is another area that that's all of medicine has been affected by COVID-19. Yeah, those are great points. And, you know, I, I sort of have wondered about the ER piece because I'd heard other uh, physicians saying this. There probably is an element, too, of people sheltering in place and not being in harm's way quite as much, right? Whether that's out hiking or whether it's, you know, in the city and fighting or, you know, drinking or doing whatever people do. So I do wonder about that piece. And that obviously would be a positive if those people aren't getting injured. It is with the people that do need the help. Although I do also wonder, you know, I'm sure that some small percentage of those folks that are hypochondriacs that come in and clog up the ER when maybe they didn't really need to. And this pandemic is keeping some of those folks away. So I don't know, maybe that's, uh, there's something to that. Those are the silver linings. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of, um, we know that one of the biggest issues around this, especially coming out of the gate and on the heels of the outbreak in China and other places internationally, is the lack of testing and the lack of you know, personal protective equipment. I know that there are some initiatives that a variety of individuals, organizations, you know, private companies have been involved in, but is there anything giving you optimism on this front? I know you just mentioned a minute ago that um, there was that concern that you would be overwhelmed, right? And part of that is just space and people that could help treat these folks. But I'm sure part of that was the masks, part of it was the ventilators, part of it was, you know, some of the other things that you needed. Any updates on that front that you're feeling better about now, you know, a month or, or two into fighting the disease? At a high level, the thing that makes me feel most reassured is how effective social distancing has been and how much that has led to a decrease in volume to for us that we can handle it better. So my hope is that we can continue social distancing until we have the other resources. The area I've been the most disappointed, to be frank, is that we, look, I'm ready to fight on the front line, so are my colleagues, Um, but at the same time that that is happening, as we fight the battles on the front lines, the most critical things that we move forward as society and leadership in our country and around the world is for us to really drive forward the testing. Obviously, the PPE goes without question, but also treatments and ultimately a vaccine because the vaccine is how we get out of this. We get out of it through herd immunity and herd immunity either happens because of a vaccine or through a process that will lead to uh, millions of people dying. So, so we need all of those things to be rushing forward. And seeing how slow we are as related to some other countries in the world is pretty disappointing. I mean, we're the United States of America. We should be, way, we have some of the smartest minds in the world and some of the best industry. We should be creating PPE on day one. The testing should be better than it is in any country in the world. And there's just absolutely not the case and it's that that's very disappointing for me being someone on the front lines risking my and my colleagues lives well you just partly answered my next question which is a good lead-in and that is leadership has played a big role both i would say negative and positive in how we've reacted to this i don't want to be political about this but i know that you know folks like governor cuomo who's you know in your backyard Dr. Fauci from the uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, I feel like have been stabilizing forces and have demonstrated some of the leadership among other governors and mayors of certain cities. You know, we'd just love to get your take. I think, like I said, you just hinted at it, but 
how some of these maybe positive leaders or positive voices have helped uh, doctors like you do your job and, and really get out ahead of this. It sounds like the social distancing critical piece of that, and it's good to hear that reinforced, but anything else that you're seeing that's coming out of their leadership messages and, and sort of helping to stay out in front of this. Yeah, I think, thank God for folks like Fauci and Cuomo, who are really um, clear, honest, they communicate well, they point out the problems, they are smart and thoughtful, and I think filling a true leadership gap. Um, I, I have huge respect for Dr. Fauci. Actually, I, he, he's an alum of, um, well, Cornell, where I'm, I went to medical school. I'm actually becoming the president of the Alumni Society there. So when we have meetings, we just talk about how proud we are. Um, sure. Tony Fauci came from our, from our institution. I mean, he's so impressive and smart. And like you're saying, Cuomo is also being very straightforward. And I think we need more of that. Uh, I agree it's become politicized in a way that really is a shame because people stop thinking when things become political and they fall within their teams on both sides. And we shouldn't let that happen here. We can't let that happen here. This is way too important. And one note on that is what I, I, I get very frustrated in hearing a false dichotomy where there's a decision between doing what's right healthcare wise and our economy. And I think that's absolutely the wrong way to think of it. It's not a choice. If we open up at the wrong time, more people get sick and that kills the economy. These things go hand in hand. They're not at odds with each other. The only path forward for the economy is proper control and eventual vaccine. That's it. So, so we got to get away from this whole discussion of, oh, we got to balance healthcare and economy. Like, Killing a lot of people, opening up too quick, the economy will fall back apart. We saw that happen. Like we have clear evidence. Look at the stock market. We had to throw trillions of dollars in just to stabilize the stock market after we didn't have good testing and a lot of people died. That will happen again, for sure. So uh, I don't understand why we're having these false dichotomies. I think everyone's brain should be on how to, how to, if you care about the economy or you care about people or care about everything, it's about controlling this pandemic. Yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, it's the, the conversation I have with people, and this may seem like this is a stretch, but, you know, many of us get frustrated with people that poach large game animals in Africa, right? How could you possibly do this? And you do think about some of the people that are there, and they're people that, you know, have nothing or very little. And so, yeah, it's bad to kill a rhinoceros that's an endangered species, but for them, it's the way that they're going to live, and then someone else benefits from that, right? And where I'm going with this is, it is hard because I think you have all these people that are so hard hit, but I, I like your message of, yes, we know that it's, it's tempting to go back. Yes, it seems like that's a good thing, but you're going to take a little baby step forward and then five giant steps back because of the fact that you're, you're doing this too soon. So I think that's a great reminder. And I love that you're reinforcing that social distancing and just how much of a blunt instrument that's been. And we hear it and hear it and hear it. But clearly you're saying that this is making maybe the most difference right now, especially until we can actually get a vaccine. So um, that's, that's an important one. I do and want to switch gears a little bit uh, because we did start off and we promised we'd talk about this. And I also want to be respectful of time. Uh, you talked a little bit about this thing called MD Calc, right? So this is the, the nerd part of you, the entrepreneur part of you, bringing that together with your medical experience. Tell us a little bit more about what uh, MD Calc is and then 
I would like to talk a little bit about a cool initiative you have that brings that back to the COVID-19 fight. Cool. Yeah, so MD Calc. We are a 15-year-old medical reference that is the main place physicians and other clinicians go to access what we generally call medical calculators. These are things, medical calculators, that you learn about in med school and in residency that you need to use when you see a patient to make decisions for them. So some of them are true calculators, quote unquote. They have numerical inputs, numerical outputs, such as you have one deranged lab value and you have to use it to correct for another lab value. Others are clinical rules, clinical decision tools, sometimes they say, which are created through large clinical studies to answer really relevant questions. For example, your four-year-old falls and hits their head. 10 years ago, you'd bring them to the emergency department and almost all of those kids would get CAT scans. And that's radiation, that's not good for kids, that's cost, et cetera, as well. And very few number of those kids would have some kind of finding that you do anything about. So through large clinical studies of tens of thousands of patients each to derive and other studies to validate, a group of pediatric emergency academic physicians created what they call the PCARN rule. And essentially the PCARN rule says, hey, if, you, if, if this, this child in the ER meets specific criteria based on exam and age and a bunch of other things, then you don't need to get a CAT scan. In this other group, you can watch them for four to six hours and then deciding they still might not need a CAT scan, otherwise scan them. So this is great. It's patient-centered, it's evidence-based, and it reduces the amount of CAT scans this you need to expose these kids to and saves money for the system. And that's one of 550 rules on MBCalc. We didn't create it. It was made in academic medicine. If you Google the name of the PCARN rule, which the doctors know and they need to use, but they don't memorize, you, you end up on our website. And because of that, we have become the main place doctors go for these types of rules. And they span almost every specialty of medicine. I'll give you one example, but there are seven different scores used for the arrhythmia called AFib or atrial fibrillation to help determine which type of blood thinner, if any, the patient needs to be on. And there's rules across oncology, immunology, almost any kind of specialty, there's different types of rules. And again, we didn't create any of them, but if you Google search them, were the place that ends up popping up. And the people who did the research on them, they write for us. And the medical societies who mention them in their guidelines, they quote us, et cetera. So we've become the main place for this. And because of that, and because it's so broad, we're now used by over two thirds of US physicians across all specialties on a weekly basis, which I believe makes us the most broadly used medical reference in medicine by physicians. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And I think at one point it was 60%. So you're up from that and continuing to increase. And it sounds like it's a, a valuable resource. And it's interesting to hear you talk because I had referenced at the top of the show that you had come and given a, a keynote at one of our events. And you talked about this trillion dollar savings. And I'm hearing the threads through there of one of the ways we could save a lot of money in healthcare is to be smarter about what gets tested and putting people into harm's way. And you know, I've heard from Dr. Eric Topol same thing, like, let's try to get as many people out of the hospital as possible. You know, obviously, ER patients have to go. But telemedicine is really a place that can help and telemonitor yep. and all that good stuff. So I'm hearing similar consistent themes, not so much. <laughs> Dr. Um, Topol gets that too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So one of the things that I do want to drill down on, and then we'll ask a couple of uh, 
lighter questions and we'll wrap up, but um, you have a MD Calc ad grants initiative that's just kicking off. And the premise is you're donating a million dollars in advertising grants to innovative organizations helping with COVID-19 relief. Tell us more about this awesome effort. Yeah. No, thanks for asking about it. You know, MD Calc, we are still owned and run by the two docs who started at Graham Walker and myself. We both are academic docs that still practice. We love what we do. Um, so we had, we're a very, very mission-based organization. I think that's led to our success as well because doctors and organizations we partner with know that about us. And so we have put forward several initiatives to help support the COVID crisis. Not only are we building a toolkit and resource center of the main types of calculators that doctors can use to help treat these patients, and we're constantly adding and tweaking it as we get more information, as we're saying, um, but we're also doing other things that will help, help support this. So one of them is um, we're an advertising-based medical reference. We typically sell our ads, as you know, to organizations and companies that want to get in front of doctors, different types of physicians at the point of care. Um, a large number of them are trying to do amazing things to also help the COVID crisis. So we want to support their efforts by giving ad grants to them. So we've, put, we've just um, launched this effort and already are, have a whole bunch of great applicants um, that we, we are working on deciding who will get those ad grants. And two other things that we're uh, working on as well are um, we have created an electronic health record integration of our calculators in general, and we're taking a core set of tools that we're making the COVID resource toolkit, and we're giving that as a free integration to medical centers. So we have a whole bunch of medical centers that are excited about this. Um, and finally, we have CMEs across all of our tools. We're launching that next month. And for the COVID-related tools, we're giving a carrot to physicians saying, if you come and learn about the medical calculators that help COVID patients, we'll give you free CMEs for those. So three efforts to try to support the COVID crisis. Well, that's, I, I love the innovation there and uh, kudos to you for doing that. I am just for the sake of time, I'm going to ask you one final question. This is the more fun one. Um, even though I'd love to know something about you that people don't know, but um, I like to always ask our guests, you know, you're on a proverbial deserted island, which album would you pick and why? And I like to ask this just to sort of get people's thought process around, you know, what makes them uh, tick and, and what would they pick if they had a long time to be alone and, you know, didn't want to be bored in doing so. I have so much trouble with this question because I'm someone who loves variety. I mean, maybe you see that I, I practice and I run this business and I, um, I just love using all different parts of my brain. And I think that's expressed in, in the type of music that I listen to. My father's a, my father's a surgeon actually who now can just conducts an orchestra. So I grew up with some classical music and it's anything from that to, um, you know, alternative music I grew up with in, in the nineties to, um, more modern music. I mean, I, 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 it would be so hard for me. I've been battling with this question. It's been so hard for me to, to, to think what would be the right album. So I, I my answer is, um, Spotify. Can I do that? It's a little bit of a cheat, but you know, given all the good work you're doing and given the diversity of your background, I'll let you get away with that. For this <laughs> one. It's, uh, 
it is, you know, it really is what we all go to now. It's just, it does give us that ability to scratch every itch we want to, right? Especially since almost every artist is on there. So, um, totally. I'm sorry about that. It's a little, it's a little <laughs> bit of a, you know, a, a <laughs> pop up, but I'll let you get away with it. So, with that, we will wrap up because I know you need to run. I need to run as well. But uh, this is Aaron Strout, host of the What to Know podcast show and the CMO W2O. And you've had the pleasure of hearing from one of our frontline workers and uh, innovators, Dr. Joseph Abouche. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for all of the, what you're doing out there, both on the tools front as well as the you know ER doctor front for you know helping us work through this. Hey, thanks for having me. And thanks so much for you all at W2O and you specifically, Aaron. I know you guys have been doing some amazing work across the board and especially during the COVID crisis. So thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know. 